Good to see y'all tonight. Welcome in on a Wednesday night. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. As we begin a new Wednesday night series called Signature, we're going to talk about the names of God uh, throughout the fall on Wednesday night. And I uh, hope you'll see you back on Sundays. We continue with our uh, Sunday sermon test drive and, and hope that you are, I hope this is part of that. I hope that you are giving Wednesday nights a, a good try and because uh, we've got things going on all over the building. I know our children are back for Wham and our students are, uh, are packing it out over there in the student building. And so um, I'd ask you to continue to pray for, for student ministry uh, during the week. At any, any given day, our, our, uh, our staff is on a number of different campuses um, through, throughout the week still. Um, I've learned this, that our, our lead staff has become a staff full of ex-student pastors. <laughs> so we still do student ministry, and, and we find ourselves uh, doing student ministry still, and we're thankful to do that. Um, obviously, within our, our uh, I will just say this, by the end of this week, I will have spoken at three different schools myself, and that, that's not including other people from our church staff that are doing that. Uh, obviously, the, the Christian Academy, will, I'll speak there Friday, which I'm really looking forward to that. been a couple different schools today. Um, and so when, when Give to Go comes up in, in October and we give to the missions budget, um, a lot of times we don't go to those schools just with the word. Uh, we'd like to take a hook with us called chicken, green beans, and mashed potatoes and things like that. So, um, and so you, you help us. And while the doors are still open in our schools right around us, um, and especially our, our Christian Academy, we, we want to encourage you to keep praying for that and thanking the Lord for that and for those relationships that we have that we can continue to go in and uh, minister to our community and minister to the future of our church. Amen? So uh, tonight we'll, again, begin this uh, new series called Signature. The, I'll just tell you that the attributes of God is one of my favorite things to study. I love to study the attributes of God. For me, it takes me back to center. This is who God is. This is this is who we worship, how we relate to him. This is um, all of that. And, and when we pray, we know who we are talking to, and we understand God for, for who he is, for who he actually is, and not just what we thank him to be. Um, we say this a lot, but, but our world has, is not rejecting the idea of God. Uh, we're rejecting the idea of a biblical God. Uh, we reject the idea of, of for who God really is. And so when we know who he really is in Scripture, then we can relate to him better. Romans chapter 5, verse 11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now, I have uh, reiterated this many times, but I use the New Living Translation. That's the Bible that I read from, preach from, study from. Uh, when I got saved, the, the New Living Translation Bible was put in my hand. And so uh, transformation over translation, I've heard it say before. So when I got saved and became discipled, uh, this was the translation that I was reading from. Uh, but because I know that many of you don't, uh, I do at times include different translations. And so mine is a thought for thought. Basically, when you read the New Living Translation, you are getting the thought behind the word that is used in other translations. Uh, some translations are word for word, like the King James Version says, when my version says we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, the King James Version says we joy in God, meaning that, that we are not just having this uh, glad contentment because of what God gives. We have a gladness and a contentment because of who he is, and we have a relationship with him. We joy in God, not in the gifts of God, but in God. So when the scripture says in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, it says, our relationship with, with God because of Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What do you think of that? <clears throat> and what do you make of it? What do you think of when the Bible says 
We've been made friends of God. Because this gives us an insight to who God is and how we relate to him. But, but again, it's not the only indicator, because if you, if you were just to, to have the scripture that says, we are friends of God, and that's all you know of God, then you're you know, thinking to yourself, well, well, are we best friends, or are we Facebook friends, or are we just acquaintances? Like, what does that mean, right? So that's why you don't pull out one verse of scripture, that's why you take it all. And, and we, we understand when we read the scripture that God reveals throughout the word his many different names for himself. Now, now, God could give us one name, and it could just be God, and that alone would suffice and be worthy of our worship. But a number of names from the Bible for who God is helps us to understand so that we can relate. My father-in-law was the late Mike McLemore. He has been present with the Lord now for four years. In February to be five, our family misses him dearly, misses him daily. Uh, when he was born, Mike McLemore was given the name at birth Michael Dempsey McLemore. He was a pastor, and so many people knew him as Brother Mike. He received an honorary doctorate, so that made him Dr. Mike McLemore. To many of his family members, he was simply Mike. To his children, he was dad. To his grandchildren, he was go-go. He was an Alabama football fan, and that's seriously how, he, how his grandkids gave him the nickname. That's, they, I'm serious. I'm lining them down. They all call him Go-Go, even to this name. Watching a football game on the TV in the living room, go, 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 and the name was born. And they all called him that. To me, it is still Mr. Mike. I've never called him anything different and won't ever. I have too much respect for him to call him just by his first name. I didn't call him what the kids called him. I didn't call him what Brittany called him. I called him Mr. Mike, and that was what we called him. One man many different titles. One, or one name suggests many different ways to think of him when you look at it that way. One name suggests one way, another suggests another way, but it's one person. One of the names was relational, another one of the names was spiritual, another one of the names was educational, but they're all him. And it gives us a well-rounded understanding of exactly who he is. It's the same when you study the names of God. There's going to be a different emphasis. There's going to be a different reason. And when you do that, it helps us to better understand who he is. And so we actually know what we're talking about as a church. Amen? This is when we get to study a better understanding, a greater clarity. When we study the names of God, we conclude that when God revealed a new aspect of his character to his people, he did so often by revealing a new name. So in Exodus chapter 3, when we're there, Moses was... Uh, the burning bush, you, you may see in Moses, cha uh, in Moses chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, your subtitle may say Moses and the burning bush. Here in, in Exodus, Moses was a man that at a time was on the run from, uh, from Egypt, and he, was, um, he had, had killed a man. Again, I say this often, if you, if you want to feel better about your faith and your Christianity, go read the Old Testament. You'll find a lot of unfaithful, faithful people in the Old Testament. But Moses was a man on the run from Egypt. And now in his adult years, he has settled down. He's made an adult life in the land of Midian. And while leading his flock to Mount Sinai, the Bible says that while he was there at the mountain of God, the angel of the Lord in chapter 3, verse 2, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. And God was speaking to Moses, for, for he was about to use Moses to rescue his people from slavery, from the oppression of the Egyptians, and to lead them to their own promised land. The Israel will be the, the as in Genesis tells us, Israel is the chosen people of God that's meant to usher blessing into the world, ultimately through Jesus. 
And God is going to, to call Moses to take that one step forward in a different covenant with him. And he's calling him to leave Midian and go back to Egypt and lead his people and free them from slavery. And so you, what you see here is a dialogue between Moses and God. God says, you're going. Moses is like, this seems odd to me. Now, I mean, you think about what God has just appeared to him. And Moses protests and he says, who am I in chapter 3, verse 11? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Talking about a guy that, that, that messed up and got within his anger and took someone's life and ran away from it. And I'm not the guy to do that. I, I stutter when I speak. I'm going to be before the, the empire that's in history books is one of the greatest that's ever been. You're calling me. And God answered him and said in chapter 3, verse 12, I'll be with you. And he also said, this mountain is your sign, and you'll worship here once you are freed. Moses again protests. In our featured verses, in verses 13 through 15, this is another protesting of Moses. And he says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, almost like, all right, if I do this, and I go and talk to these folks that are our people, your people, if I do that, he says, what name am I giving to them? The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They will ask me, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And this is what God says in reply to Moses. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, right now, if you've never studied this, may, this may seem weird to you. Like, why would God just not say, just tell them God sent me, sent you, right? But he clarifies, he says, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you, is what he is supposed to say to the elders of Israel. God also says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all the generations. So before Moses is this life-changing command. I mean, can you imagine if, if it were you? Seriously, this is a world, this is not even a life-changing, it's a world-changing command. God is going to use him, and the one true God has just revealed himself to Moses while he's just outside working. And after this, again, he's got questions. Why would you appear to me as I'm going to go before one of history's greatest empires? He says, I'll be with you. Is that good enough? And then the second question is, when I go to Israel, who do you want me to tell them is sending me to them? Now, to this question, when he says, who should I tell them is sending me, God gives specifics. He could have said, it's me, and left it, right? He could have just said, he could have said nothing and been like, really? But he clarifies, but because there are other false gods out there with other names. And so he clarifies. And not only that, he gives clarity because people make up God in their own mind. Again, not, they fully would believe that, yes, there's a God. I would even say, and I think the stats prove this. I don't have it in front of me. The majority of our country even would believe that there's a God. It's just that God is up for debate as to who it is. That's why God says to Moses, I am. There is no other, is what he is saying. He says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. That the sacred name of God in the Hebrew, now this is interesting to me. The sacred name of God in Hebrew is known as the four letters or the four-letter name of God, Y-H-W-H. -H. 
And according to commentaries, because it has no vowels, no one actually knows the true pronunciation of Y-H-W-H. This is what's cool. Jews, in fact, consider Y-H-W-H too sacred to utter. They will not say it. I've read where scribes feared so much to take the Lord's name in vain that they actually read silently over what they copied without pronouncing his name out loud. This is an interesting point of reverence. And can I tell you, this is a little point of reverence I think we need to get back a little bit. We need to know who we're talking about when we say the name God. We throw out, oh my God, so much, it's like we don't even know who we're dealing with. Our culture throws it out. And to think that, that uh, some time ago when there's a people group of the world that God is still trying to, to convince that he has sent the Messiah, and they give more reverence to, to the name of God. Again, the, the, the respect given to who he is, not knowing how to pronounce it, they didn't want to pronounce it wrong because they hold it in such high esteem. Now, knowing this, and again, we don't want to become legalistic with those things either, I do have to confess to you, this is a weird confession, when I'm typing out a sermon and I'm preaching to you, I cannot stand a lowercase g. I just go on and capitalize it. I want the Lord to know, you know? I'll go back and if it's H-E, I'll be like, no, we're going to capitalize that too because my he and his he ain't the same. You don't have to do that. And again, maybe it's a weird thing that I've got. But, but knowing, a, a, as we, even we talk about those kinds of things, a strict adherence to that kind of practice. If you do or you don't capitalize G, it's not going to save you, and it's also not going to cause you to lose your salvation. All right? So know that we don't have a strict adherence to that kind of practice. We are free to call upon the name of the Lord. We are free to say his name audibly. And of course we are. How do we know? Why would you say it with that much confidence? Well, God told Moses to go back and say who it was so that we know that we can say his, his name audibly. The closest pronunciation of Y-H-W-H is probably what we see here in Yahweh. Translated into English, this is where we get Jehovah. You go even further, this is where we get the Lord, L-O-R-D. This is the most famous Old Testament name for God. It's used more than 6,519 times. And you in the Old Testament, you'll know it when you see it because it will be in all caps, L-O-R-D, in all caps. That is the covenant to his people name. That is the eternal name of God that's used so often in the scriptures. It was the case in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham was called of God to be the earthly father of the nation of Israel. It was Yahweh. It was the Lord who called him. This is consistent again with who Moses is going to introduce to the nation of Israel. When God called Abraham, he, he, he called him from that name, Yahweh. Then when Moses says, who am I going to tell him is coming? He said, you tell him Yahweh is coming. Right? And it, is, it is Jehovah. It is the Lord. So why specifically, though, does God introduce himself this way? The combination of the four letters, Y-H-W-H, are derived from a word that means to be. To be. In other words, his reply to Moses was, God is who he is. Or when he says, who should I tell them has sent me? I am the existing one. That is the thought. I am the existing one. This is significant for a few reasons. The first reason why this is significant is because it's separating. God is saying, I am the existing one. I'm not the false one. I'm the real one. 
I'm the only one. He clarifies that there is no other existence of God besides him. Or to make it clear, I am the one, the actual one. That's one of the reasons why it's significant. It's also significant because it's clarifying. He brings clarity to his being. When he says, I am, or when the scripture says that the combination of those letters means to be or I am the existing one, that teaches us this. God exists within himself. Now, parents, you need to hang on to that. God exists within himself. Because at some point, your kid is going to have in their mind, where did God come from? Right? Where did God come from? God is the original cause. He exists within himself. When someone asks the question, who should I say is calling, what do we usually do? If somebody, if somebody says to you when you call them and says, hey, uh, can I speak with so-and-so? And they say, who should I say is calling? Usually we'll give them our name, right? But then don't we most of the time go one step forward to give them a little more clarity, right? Who should I say is calling? This is Andy John King. I'm up here at Lindsay Lane. I was just trying to get a hold of so-and-so. I need to talk to him about so-and-so. So now I'm giving credibility and I'm giving validity and I'm giving credibility. Again, I'm trying to communicate clearly with a connecting point of who's actually calling, which when God says, I am who I am, this is the existing one. So it's almost like God is giving to Moses his name and a clarification of credibility. Listen to this. It's, it's almost like Moses is saying, this is God. I'm not from anywhere. I'm everywhere. Hey, you tell them that this is God. I wasn't born at a certain time. I'm the beginning and the end. I am. The only one. It's a clarifying statement. God is uncaused. He depends upon no other source for his being. All of us looking in here at each other have a source for our being. Obviously, Almighty God, but we have parents and grandparents and the family line. There is none of that for God because God is the original cause. God is explaining that he cannot define himself by pointing to someone or anything else. It's me. And we may say this, I was born, right? When were you born? I was born here. I was born at this time. God would say, no, 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 I am. It's not about being born, I am. I remember when I said, parents, you need to have this answer for your kids. I remember laying awake at night in my youth and having a big question like that on my heart and mind and freaking out. Just in my bed, alone, eyes closed, before school, dark, thinking, where did God come from? This is weird. And this is why we need to be discipled. This is why you need to study your Bibles. This is why you need to come on Wednesday nights. I'm glad y'all are here. This is, this is why we, we need to know this. John, in, in the book of John, in the New Testament, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 26, the Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. God doesn't come from anywhere. He exists, and he exists within himself. Again, he is the original cause. This is the biblical answer to that question in all of our hearts, and especially in the hearts of our children. And truth be told, when I understood this even later on in life, it put my mind at ease to know it, right? I mean, it puts your mind to know that, that God has an answer for that. He's not afraid of our questions. He's God. He exists within himself. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. If, if there are other little G gods that were born of one thing or another, guess what? They're not one. And there's only one. Just giving that as an example. 
Again, partly this gave me peace because I knew the truth. But listen to this. It also gave me peace because if God was not created, then he will not be destroyed. His promises are forever, and he has continual existence within himself. Not only is God self-existent, but he is self-sufficient. He is not in need. He is self-sufficient, meaning that if he has no cause, he has no need. If God exists within himself, he sustains within himself. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need an environment. He simply is. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 12, the Bible says, If I were hungry, this is speaking as if God were speaking, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. As one pastor said, he is the only independent being in the universe because he is the only being who is self-generating. And this brings the question, if God is self-sufficient, and if God is the only one that is truly independent, then why are we here? What does God need with us if he is absolutely self-sufficient? Well, the truth is, is he doesn't need us. You ever thought of that? Some of us need to hear that. I need to hear that sometimes. Hey, brother, this is not really about you, man. If you go down, I'll raise up another one, that kind of thing. It's not about us. He doesn't need us. And I think we need to understand that. We are God's creation. All of us in here, we are God's creation. Are we the supreme object of God's creation? Yes, but creation nonetheless. God does not exist because of us. We exist because of God, and he owes nothing to anybody in here. God does, again, not exist because of us. We exist because of him. So the question again, though, is still there. Why create us if he doesn't need us? Well, Genesis 1 says that God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good, exclamation point. God created everything. God created man, male and female, and then he saw that it was very good. Now, we might understand it in this form of speaking. It was the very best that it could possibly be. God looked over creation when he got finished, and he said, it's the very best that it could possibly be. So what are you trying to say? It gave him glory. This is what the whole thing is about. Together for the glory of God and the good of man. It gave him glory. So that's why he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the water. That's why he created plants and animals. That's why he created us. Now, I don't know if you've ever won a blue ribbon. When I was in elementary school, I won a blue ribbon at a science fair. Did my mom and dad do most of it? Sure. <laughs> was I there for the coloring? Absolutely. I remember it. Seriously, I think we still... <laughs> Y'all keep bringing up these trinkets to the pulpit. I may bring that one up on Sunday just to prove it. But I remember we had this poster board, and we were supposed to do this. Again, it shows you what I learned. I'm not sure that I learned anything, but my mama probably did. But we, we did this poster, and I, I couldn't believe it because, seriously, we got a, a, a blue ribbon. And, and when people would see that blue ribbon, and the word would get around the community. I'm kidding. When people, would see, when people would see the blue ribbon, people would be like, oh, my goodness, man, well done. You know, things like that. Good job. Did your mama do it? You know, stuff like that. But seriously, they, they would honor me because of what we had created. So, so we are created beings that are not meant to receive honor ourselves. We are not creating 
ourselves. God has created us, therefore we exist to give God glory, period. We and everything else that's created, we exist for God's glory. Romans chapter 12, verse 36. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Now, we're not done, so hang on, because as we often say, it just so happens, and this is the good part too, it just so happens that God's glory works for our good. When sin entered creation and those who were the image bearers of God became sinners, God just didn't cut us off. He began to work for our good. And for God to work for our good ultimately brought him more glory. He has no need to to keep us from separation. The truth is, is when we wronged God and sinned against God, God could have said, that's it, and cut us off and separate from him forever. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to sing uh, about this mercy and love and grace of God. But they're all there because he's holy. And so God's glory out of his holiness works for our good. The revelation of his name tells us that he is personal. When in the scripture he says that I am who I am. I am is what he says. I am who I am. I is a personal pronoun. God is not a force. God is not an impersonal spiritual orb that cannot be known, like something that you would see out of a video game. He has just encountered a relational conversation with Moses. He is a personal God who interacts with his people and is involved with his creation. He is a specific person with holy, unique characters, special relationships with those who are his. We talked to him this morning, some of us, amen? We've heard from him as he spoke to our heart. We were present when we got saved, that we were sitting there underneath the sound of the Word of God or reading a gospel track or reading the Bible, and something starts working on the inside, and that is the Spirit of God. He is personally drawing us to himself. Ephesians says he is merciful, says he loves us so much. Now, that's the part when we say that we, we just exist for his glory, but that's not, the, that's not all of the story. Because the Bible tells us that he is merciful, that he does love you. Again, our our favorite verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He does love the world. Scripture goes on to say in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2, this is paraphrase, but he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. So not only does he have mercy on us and love us, but it is extended through himself, through his son. And then it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, so God can point to us, there's where the glory part comes in again, so God can point to us in all future ages as the examples of his incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. We are to be examples of his glory. That's why we're here. To be examples of his incredible wealth of grace and kindness and love and mercy, and it should be represented in our lives each and every day. As one author said, this is really good. One author said, the gospel depends upon a God who does not depend upon you. That's good. I wish I could think of things like that. It's really good. So knowing that Jehovah is the only God, and knowing that Jehovah exists within himself and is self-sufficient but is personal, knowing all of that, we exist for his glory, but his glory works for our good, 
then we must tune our lives to the sound of his glory. We must do the things that bring him glory. We must act the ways that bring him glory. We must believe on the things that bring him glory. We must exert our influence in our places of business and our places of influence every day in ways that, that bring him glory. We are underneath his standard so that, our, so that his standard in our lives will bring him glory. We have to endure suffering in a way that brings him glory. That's tough to say because it's tough. We have to endure these circumstances that brings us to our knees and in our heart to prayer multiple times a day because it brings him glory when we depend upon him, when his creation who created them depends upon him. We only exist because of him. We only know him because he's made a way for us. We only have purpose and provision and identity. The, the reason that you got up today, the, the dinner that you'll have on your plate tonight or before or after, depending upon when you eat, the purpose that you have in the morning, the kids that you would call your own, the family that you would call yours, the cars that you drive, the money in your wallet, it only is ours because we are his. We are created beings and exist because of his glory. And at the same time, while we are not the primary focus of the world, God does give focus to us. Understand, God is not independent of creation. Or God, and let me back up. God is independent of creation. Meaning this, God is distinct and above. And Isaiah talks about the high and lofty throne. There's a separation between us and God. But he chooses to involve himself with creation. God came down is what we say with Jesus. Amen? I've heard David Platt, uh, Platt talk about before with, with, with others around the world that, that believe that there's a stairway to heaven and that there's a ladder that you climb by good works in order to get to God. And David Platt said that he said to one other before, what if I tell you about the God who came down that ladder? He said that God is distinct. He is above in character and holiness. That's exactly what holiness means. He is set apart from his creation. So that leaves us in a bad way because of our sin. So Jesus came down because of the involvement of God out of that characteristic of his holiness. This is who he is. So when we read that, I am who I am, he is self-existent, he is self-sufficient, but he's also involved for his glory and for our good. Not detached. He does not sit and watch. This is not who God is. You know, some people do believe that. They believe that there's a God that exists, but he is not involved. There's a God who exists, but he doesn't have anything to do with anything that's going on. They almost look at him like he's the God or the owner of that, that magnetic football game you used to get at Christmas time. Did anybody ever get one of those magnetic football games? They still make them, by the way. They're actually pretty cool. They're actually not really cool because PlayStation is a lot better. But, but there's this magnetic thing that you plug in that looked like a little football field, and you take these plastic characters, and you set them up, and you click a button, and the vibration of the electricity just makes them fall over. It's actually kind of weird, but it was really cool on the box to look at. But sometimes that's what we think God is like. Okay, you guys are down there, click the button, life goes, and we'll just see who falls off. Not involved at all. That's not what we see here. Is God not creating a people for himself to reach the other people of the world, to draw the world to himself? Is he not speaking specifically to Moses? Don't think of God in that manner. He is above. He is, but he's not detached. He is personally involved and desires for his creation to be reconciled to him before the fall after the fall. God has been involved for our redemption since the very beginning. And we get the good of walking with him. And what this means, and I'm glad to tell you this tonight as we close, is that God cares 
man, don't you like leaving with that tonight? What, what if we just said, guys, we just exist for his glory. Get out the door. Fall off the side when the vibrations get you. If you go, you existed for his glory. Good, good. Well, but when you read all of the scripture, you realize about how much God cares for us as his special possession, as, as the supreme object of his creation. How do we know that? How about he gave his son? How about he gave of himself and he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we would have eternal life? And I realize that we're, if we're going through suffering, if we're going through pain and in a hard time and a hard way and circumstances, it's hard for us to arrive at the conclusion that his glory works for our good. And you have to remember that the name Yahweh or Jehovah is the eternal name for his people. Always, forever, and ever, and ever. That's another one that freaks me out. Like when I think of it, I can't even, I can't even get it. And I'll tell you this, you will conclude when you study the attributes of God, you'll reach a part of your conclusion where you're going, I don't even get it. And that's how really awesome he is. His identity doesn't make us special. He is special. And we are only special because he has created us and cares for us. Amen? Amen. Now, it's 717. You've got a few minutes to fellowship, talk to one another. All right? I'm going to pray for us tonight. We'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here. Lord, we thank you, O God, that we can say your name by your grace. God, we thank you, Lord, as we understand in the Scripture that because we are right with you through the way that you have made through Jesus, that... We can all bow our head, and we can call on you and trust that you hear us. Lord, you are set apart. You are holy. God, you are also involved. You don't have to be. We just thank you, O oh God, for who you are. Lord, remind us of one or the other. Lord, if we need to be reminded tonight that we exist for your glory, that this life is not about us, Father, may we be mindful of that as we live and make decisions as we interact with people. But Lord, maybe we need to be reminded that you love us and you care for us and you are not just a God who is sitting on a lounge chair waiting for us to fall over. Father, if we need that reminder tonight, Lord, I pray that it would be in our minds and our hearts and you would confirm it with your word. God, we, as we begin this study tonight, as we look forward to the next few weeks, as we come back and learn on Sundays or learn in the weeks forward, Lord, may it not be notes that we take on a page or a box that we check, but Lord, may it truly begin to transform our, our life and change us. God, as we desire to be the church that you have in mind, and to do that, we need to be the people walking with you each day. And we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Y'all have a great